This is episode number 147 with Sean Ellis of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host coming to you live from hometown, homegrown Melbourne, Australia. And today you're in for an absolute treat. I'm really, really pumped about today's guest. Uh, For those of you that are not familiar with my background and uh, one of my big passions, it's marketing, growth hacking, uh, building an audience, building a tribe, um, you know, just just uh, growing a product or a service and through just great marketing, growth hacking, and that's something I'm really passionate about. And uh, today you get to hear me uh, speak and interview uh, someone who's quite prolific as a marketer and a growth hacker. Um, he's somebody that's been responsible for growth uh, for some of the biggest companies, uh, tech companies in the world like Eventbrite or Dropbox or Log Me In. Uh, and he also started a couple of his own companies like growthhackers.com or Qualaroo. And he's a tremendously smart guy, a very, very smart marketer. And I go to town and really pick his brain and I do not hold back and extract a lot of gold for you guys just on how you use his framework to grow your business and how you should be thinking about growth. And I know a lot of you listening right now, you will have, you know, be in the middle of running your business, just started or scaling it. So you're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So before we jump in to today's episode with Sean, I just wanted to let you guys know about a little competition giveaway we're running. It's uh, something that I'm really, really pumped about. It's called the 10K e-commerce mega bundle. And uh, as some of you guys know, I've mentioned we are launching our first uh, course taught by an external instructor. This is the model that Founder is moving down where eventually we'll have hundreds of courses taught by experts on any topic that you guys tell us you need help with. Uh, and the first one is how to start an e-commerce business. So we're doing an awesome competition giveaway, 10K e-commerce mega bundle. It's everything you need to start and scale an online store. And uh, it's all around the promotions for our up and coming course. And it's called Start and Scale. So this is what you get. You get one year's free uh, subscription to Shopify, which is well over you know, $600, $700. Then you get uh, a branding identity done by us. Our designer, Giuliano, is actually going to do branding identity. He's going to help you come up with the logo. I'm going to give you a one-hour mentor session with myself. We're going to give you access to our Instagram domination course as well so you can send traffic to your store because you know you guys know we're pretty good at instagram then you're going to get a lifetime subscription to founder magazine also a lifetime subscription to founder club and that's just first place and if you refer just five friends will give you 
a uh, limited subscription to Founder Magazine where you get access to some back issues. And pretty much, this is really, really cool. It's like a leaderboard competition giveaway. So the more people you refer, the more points you get and you can work your way up the ladder. So to enter into this giveaway competition, just go to foundermag.com forward slash 10k giveaway 10k g-i-v-e-a-w-a-y all right guys that's it from me if you are enjoying these episodes also please 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 do take the time to leave us a review and also if you'd like to know more about our awesome start and scale course you don't want to enter the giveaway make sure you sign up at foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce all right guys now let's jump into the show so the first question I ask anyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? <laughs> well, I assume you have a lot of founders on, so that's that's an interesting question for founders. Um, I uh, I guess I gave myself the job when I decided to start the company. I uh, the, I, I was my first hire. And uh, what what first hire were you? Like, uh, talk talk to us about how you got started because. You're you're Australian, actually, right? Or you used to, you used to leave? I am, yeah, yeah, originally by birth, but uh, but obviously left when I was pretty young. Gotcha. So so tell us tell us uh, what was like how how did you get into just starting companies? Do you tell tell us about that? Sure. So I I had spent most of my career actually joining other people's early stage companies. Like even the first one, actually, the first two, I had invested. The first one I invested six months before I joined the company. So I was, even though I was an employee, I was I was uh, pretty pretty tied up into the success of the company. And then same with the second one, and it was the same group of people who had done both of them. And uh, I, so when I decided to start my company, it was really it's really kind of the natural uh, next challenge for me after I had been growing other people's companies and wanted to see. Gosh, can I can I start something from the from the very early stages myself and and make it work? Yeah, gotcha. So was that first company Qualaroo? So first company, I'm still really working on it. So it, it's involved Qualaroo, it's involved Growth Hackers. Um, you know, it's been it's been twists and turns. So I've, first one, it was actually a uh, vision that I had for a marketplace for free apps and services and. Actually launched it at TechCrunch Disrupt and uh, raised some pretty good venture capital on it, but got partway through the venture capital and just realized that a lot of my assumptions behind it were pretty flawed. And I was relying on Google to work uh, a way that Google kind of changed the rules a bit. And so I just decided that uh, we'd be better off essentially closing that down, taking the cash that we had left and um, acquiring some technology that, uh, that was Qualaroo and then, and then building the business around Qualaroo that we ran for a few years and, and built it up to a couple million dollars in recurring revenue and then, and then sold it last year. Gotcha. I see. Um, before we talk about Qualaroo and Growth Hackers, I want to talk about growth. Um, I know that you, you ran growth for Eventbrite, but also Dropbox, um, and you you coined the term growth hacking, which is a massive uh, movement that that is that is uh, amongst startup culture and also, I guess, in marketing as well. So, can you talk to us about your first marketing job then, and and what that looked like for you, and 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 what the challenges were compared to today, and yeah, I'm really curious. So talk talk to us about how how you got into, I guess, growth hacking and and how you talk, coined the term and 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 your background in marketing. Sure. So it's a, it's, that's all kind of happening over a 20 year period. So it's um it's uh, growth hacking. I I coined the term growth hacking in 2010, but I I really got started with online marketing in 1996 with this company. Uh, that, that I had invested in it was called uproar.com. And so the way I got started in online marketing was that I originally was hired to sell advertisements on this game site that we, that had just started and, uh, started basically the week that it launched. So there were no, no users on it. And we, um, and I just immediately got dropped into New York city. I, I joined in, um, in Budapest, Hungary. And, started calling on big Madison Avenue agencies to buy advertising in this game that didn't really have any users in it. And, uh, 
not surprisingly, they weren't that interested in uh, in advertising in an empty game. So yeah, a lot of my compensation was tied to commissions that I knew were going to be pretty tough to get in that situation. So told the CEO that I thought we needed to be a little more aggressive about customer acquisition. And he he wasn't real receptive to the message early on, but uh, you know, with, within a couple of days, he said, oh, "Okay, I've thought about it. You're probably right. Why don't Why don't you take a, a try at growing the customers?" And um, and so that's it started as a temporary role, and turned out I was pretty good at it. Yeah, gotcha. So, what did you do to to acquire customers in the early days for a company like that when the internet yeah, was so, so yeah yeah super super early? I um, I interestingly didn't have a marketing background, but it turns out that a sales background was actually pretty good for it because in sales, you're managing a, a funnel and it's very, very numbers based. I know I have to make this many phone calls to get this many meetings. This many meetings leads to this many sales and you just, you just kind of work in the numbers and it's a numbers game. And so when I started with the marketing, first thing I did was I went out and, and bought some advertisements and it worked in a sense. We got a lot more users, but when I did the math, I thought, gosh, there's no way that that money was spent well. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, even though we doubled our user base, it was just like, I think I spent like $20,000 was the minimum buy that I could, I could spend on Yahoo or one of the search engines. I think it was actually Excite. But, um, and so I told myself afterwards that I didn't need to spend $20,000 to see if this was going to work or not. I could have figured that out with $500. And so then I started doing smaller buys. And then I started uh, just really trying to lean on a, a super good development team in, in Budapest, Hungary, where we were building the games to build the tracking to let me know if I was wasting the money. And I think part of it, I was because I had invested this money, I was, I was really sensitive about wasting money for the company and maybe more so than a, than a normal hired marketer would be. Mm, I see. And what ended up happening with that company? So that company actually became the number eight website in the world in terms of total usage time. So if you multiplied number of users times the average time per user. So we, and then it was, it was actually a really good success story of kind of learning, learning how to do marketing on, on the fly that we ultimately, we, we kind of invented the first, uh, embeddable widget so that the strategy that grew YouTube a few years later, we were doing that with games where, where basically games were embedded on other websites and we could start the gameplay experience on other websites and then lead them in to play multiplayer games on our site. And, uh, we, we sold the business, but it, it had, uh, listed on NASDAQ and we got really lucky that we raised a couple hundred million dollars. The, uh, the month that the, that the NASDAQ stock market crashed in 2000. And so, we we were in a position to really survive it and sold sold the business about a year later to uh, Vivendi Universal, but uh, it was it was a fun ride. Yeah, wow, awesome. So you got a good return for your investment then? Yeah, at one point it was at one point it was like four thousand percent up. I mean, it, it it like a lot of other dot coms, it went down, but uh, it uh, yeah, it, it turned out for for my first investment ever in my life to be a really good first investment. And that, that really has bought me the flexibility to, to go for it and take a lot more risks in my career than I, than I probably would have if I, if I didn't have a good nest egg to lean on. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And that's interesting that you invested in the first startup. You kind of worked out and did growth marketing. Um, like how, how did that come about? Um, I had been living in Budapest, uh, basically selling selling ads for a business journal, and uh, heard from a friend that he was starting this internet company. And you know, n- nobody really knew much about the internet at the time. But um, I, because I was selling advertising, I really liked the idea of being able to target specific ad messages to specific people. And I'd been selling in print, where obviously you couldn't do that. And so that was the thing that really attracted me. And uh, the games company that he was building was was meant to basically give cash prizes for people who played the games. But in order to qualify to play the games, you needed to you needed to fill out registration information that would help us with all of that targeting. So surprisingly, it actually played out the way that he expected and that that I had invested in and hoped uh, to to do. But obviously, 
you know, a lot of things had to go right. And I think the, the, the main thing that had to go right was we had to figure out how to, how to acquire customers effectively and build a big user base on it. Yeah, gotcha. So you mentioned that one of, um, uh, one, one of, one of your guys for that company, Strong Channels, was building, I guess, marketing into the product, kind of like what happened with Dropbox, uh, where, you, where you did that referral loop or viral loop. Um, I'm curious, what were some other really strong growth channels for that business? We basically sort of had two pieces. So I, I think one thing that we did, you got to just kind of remember with the time of what, what's possible now with tracking, just a lot of people weren't doing it. So we were still the number one banner advertiser on the internet. But unlike a lot of other companies, I knew down to down to the cent of if I spent a dollar here, how many ad impressions did I create across our network? And if I spent a dollar here, how many ad, create, ad impressions? And this was like 1997. So most people weren't able to weren't able to, to really control their spending so that they knew exactly what their return on investment was. So I think that was a big advantage for us. And then, and then when we had this uh, content syndication in a widget piece, that brought our average acquisition cost down to the point where we had the lowest customer acquisition cost of any publicly traded company. Because we, we were actually publicly traded from even 1997. We first listed on uh, the Vienna Stock Exchange and then one of the other European stock exchanges. So by the time we listed on NASDAQ in 2000, we'd, we'd actually been public for a few years. Yeah, gotcha. So what happened next uh, after you sold that company? Did you move to to San Fran and go into the Silicon Valley world, or no? So I was I was actually so I, I was with them in New York, and then I got sent back to run European operations after the Nasdaq listing. So I stopped marketing for a little while and got my got to try my hand at operations a bit. Mm-hmm. Didn't like it as much as marketing, especially in the time when we had to do some laying off, like a lot of internet companies at that time. But uh, so I was in Europe when we sold it and uh, joined about two years later, same group of people who started um, Uproar, we started uh, LogMeIn. So LogMeIn, if you're familiar with that company today, it's a, it's about a $5 billion company, but we we started it in, uh, in Budapest. And that's what I did next. And kind of the same same path where I, I was the first US-based employee for that company as well, got sent to Boston, and, and today um, it's a pretty big Boston-based company. Yeah, so how did you grow LogMeIn? So for LogMeIn, what was interesting is we, we identified the opportunity that people really needed an easy way to remotely access and control their computers. And you know, in those days, it was, it was kind of a slow you know, this waterfall development approach, not really the lean startup approach of today. So we, we kind of crawled in a cave and spent spent a long time developing the product. And when we when we came back out, another company had actually launched their product, built a big user base, and actually already even been acquired. And so, uh, so they, we were kind of competing against an 800 pound gorilla day from day one, and that was go to my PC. Interestingly. Go to my PC was recently acquired by LogMeIn, so it uh, comes comes full circle. But we so basically what I did with with LogMeIn, as soon as I saw that somebody was already dominating the market, I recommended to the team that we we figure out a disruptive pricing model. And so we we launched one of the first freemium businesses that was out there, and there was a couple like Zone Alarms and AVG, so a couple in the security space had had freemium business models, but it was pretty unusual at the time. And that was, that was the model that we were able to, to break in and ultimately uh, take over leadership of that space. Yeah, gotcha. That's really interesting because I do know LogMeIn because before I started founder magazine, I actually used to do IT support. And okay. in my first IT support gig, I, you know, we, we had LogMeIn, we had a free version, we had a paid version. So no, I know that software quite well, it's, and I used it like what ten years ago. Yep. So it uh, yeah, it's got, it, the the team's done really well. I I ran marketing there all the way through the the Nasdaq uh, filing, which was kind of at a at a time where it took a long time from filing to actually get it out on the market. But it uh, that was that was a really interesting business, and in fact, that was the business that that really taught me what was needed to kind of what, what today is growth hacking. I made that realization when I was at, uh, at log me in that it was, 
I, I originally tried to grow it the way that most people would grow a, a startup where I went out and again, bought ads and, you know, and, and like a lot of people, I knew that, that landing pages would be a way to get some leverage on those ads. So, um, it was, it was actually kind of hard to get control from the dev team to be able to run experiments on our own landing pages. But eventually I was able to, with the you know engineer that I'd hired on the marketing team, a kind of a design engineer to carve out a subdomain and start to be able to run some experiments on those pages. But we still, we had a very flawed first user customer experience that was preventing us from effectively spending money to grow the business. And so basically what we had was like over 90% of the people who signed up for the product never actually used it. So you can imagine that <laughs> there's no return on investment. If they never use the product, they're not going to buy the product. So even though it was freemium, like if they never use the free version, there's no word of mouth. There's no chance that they're ever going to buy anything from us. And so we had to really fix that before we could grow the business. And so being able to make that case to our CEO that uh, this thing's going to be really hard to grow with this flawed first customer experience. And he, to his credit, said, you know, you're absolutely right. This is the this should be the most important initiative in the company right now. And and basically put a freeze on the the product roadmap of anything else that we that the team had been working on. And it was all, all hands on deck focused on getting that first user experience right through through lots of experimentation of of every step in the in the onboarding process. But within then about three or four months, we got it to um, about a thousand percent improvement in the sign up to usage rate, which was the difference in being able to grow that business or not. Yeah, gotcha. So the term growth hacking, would you say it's the, the intersection of, of marketing and product? Can you give us like the, the formal definition that when you coined it, what, what, what is growth hacking for people listening? No, that's a that's a good definition that you just said. The intersection of of product and and marketing. Um, what, how I tend to describe it is it's it's experimentation across that full customer journey. So instead of just experimenting in the channels, it's experimenting at at every step in the customer journey. Unfortunately, a lot of the the key levers to experiment on don't sit within the marketing team. They sit in the product team, and so that's the that's the part that you said that intersection between product and marketing, being able to run experiments in product is, uh, is critical to make growth hacking really work. Yeah. Got you. Awesome. So, so the freemium, the freemium model was really, really strong. Once again, I'm seeing a recurring theme, building the marketing into the product. Then you moved on to Dropbox. Yeah. So after, after log me in, you know, I, I kind of did the, self-reflection and look back and said, you know, do we just get really lucky in these, in these two businesses, two IPOs in, in a 10 year period? What was, what was the common denominator? What really mattered? And the conclusion that I came to was it's, it's what we did in the first six months of trying to grow customers was that was the most important part. The things we figured out in that stage opened the door to the things that we continued to do going forward from there. So I thought, gosh, I've, I've, <laughs> I've done 10 years of growing businesses, but only maybe like only like one year that is at the stage that really matters and you know, building the skill set that really matters. And so my goal coming off of Log Me In was to get a lot of practice in that first six months of going to market for, for businesses. And so that's, I joined Dropbox six months after I left Log Me In, and it was it was one of the it was the first project where I was able to essentially negotiate my exit before I before I made my entrance. So I would be fully vested on on stock after six months and be able to move on to the next company. Man, talk to us about Dropbox because that was a very very famous growth hack. Now, th- th- was was this your idea? Um, I, I want to get it right. Yeah, I mean, we were inspired by we were inspired by things that. Uh, I mean, actually, if you if you heard of the company Ring, the uh, smart video doorbells, the guy who started that company had run some experiments around uh, referral programs and how to build the incentives in, and and had come up with this two sided uh, referral model, or or you know, both both sides of a referral getting an incentive. He that was what had performed best when he tested it, and so I had tried it at a 
company where I was doing a little bit of consulting and it seemed to be working. And so then we, then we decided to, to implement it at, at Dropbox as well. Yeah, gotcha. Because that's when Dropbox blew up. Yeah, it is. But I, I actually would credit that program less to the growth of Dropbox. I mean, I th- to me, it was, it was an accelerant on something that was already working really well. So I think in the case of Dropbox, to me, what we did before that was probably more important, which was really tapping into who loved Dropbox as, as a product and where did they come from. And when we dug into it, we found that there were some pretty distinct onboarding paths into the product. So somebody who was coming in through a shared file had very different expectations about the product than somebody who was coming in through a shared folder, for example. So the folder, that person was expecting ongoing collaboration where the file, they just wanted their file. And so being able to message the product right and then and then the homepage, most of the people that came through the homepage were focused on Dropbox as a way to keep their data synchronized across multiple devices. And so there was all these different use cases around Dropbox that we had to optimize those those initial user experiences for. So again, very similar to what we did with LogMeIn, where we were optimizing that initial user experience. We had a bunch of them with Dropbox. And every time that we optimize another user experience, growth would accelerate. And so um, I think that's the some of the big challenges there were if somebody used all of the functionality I just listed, they really love Dropbox. But if we tried to introduce them to all of that functionality too early, they got overwhelmed and would disappear. And so if you think about like with technology, complexity is probably a bigger barrier to adoption than price or anything else. And so we had to keep it really simple and keep people engaged before we introduced some of the complexity that would add value to their experience. And so all of that experimentation was, was hard work. It doesn't make the, the headlines of what, uh, what would be considered some great growth hack, but, but ultimately that was the stuff that was probably more important in the long run to, to the growth of Dropbox than even the referral program. Hmm, interesting. And then you moved on to Eventbrite? Yeah, so I actually did I actually did Eventbrite and Dropbox at the same time. So the, I, I split my time equal, like 50-50 between the two companies. Yeah, well, how, how did you manage that? Like um, between the founders, both billion-dollar companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah. so part of it is that I learned that that the I could identify the opportunities for experiments a lot faster than those experiments could be implemented. And so what I found was that there's actually a lot of waiting around. Even though I wanted to work really hard, there's just a lot of waiting around. So it made more sense to, to actually split my time between the two companies. And how did you convince both founders that that would be okay? Because for me, if I had you know, my head of growth or my first marketer, splitting his time between another startup i i wouldn't that wouldn't sit well with me to be honest yeah so i had i had like a very specialized skill set that i was bringing to the table with with these companies and um i i was really passionate about about figuring out what is this right sequence of of activities to do in a in a new company when it's going to market and the truth is that I could I could optimize that. Um, so so before these two companies, I did just one company, and that's where I learned the the waiting around piece. But I documented things really tightly, and so I had a pretty good formula by the time I hit these two companies. So, you know, the the truth is that I I mean, it's, interestingly, since then, so the co-author of my book, Morgan Brown, was was working with me on growth hackers in a similar way. I, I only had 50% of his time, but he was so much more efficient and um, I think effective in what he could do that 50% of his time was like double anyone else's time. Mm, interesting. So we'll, we'll work towards uh, talking about your new book, Hacking Growth with Morgan. But before we get into that, there was a couple of questions I wanted to ask because one thing that I, uh, there seems to be a few recurring themes. One, around you every every single one of these companies uh, that that you had worked on you know log me in massive dropbox event bright like these are very very big big startups even the first one that you talked about that you invested in I, I hadn't heard of but that sounded to be quite successful 
Um, how, how are you identifying these unicorn startups? Like what, what are the chances? That's a, that's a pretty good track record. What are you looking <laughs> for? So, I, I mean, part of it was luck, you know, just to be honest, like <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think, um, you know, the most that you can do as a marketer is really help a, a business realize its potential. And I just happened to land in places where there was a heck of a lot of potential to realize. Interestingly, the next one that I did after these two um, is also a billion dollar company. It's it's called uh, Lookout. It's a mobile security company. And then the other one was called Social Cast that the didn't do quite as well, but it, it sold for over a hundred million dollars to uh, VMware um, within a couple of years. So it's uh, still did pretty well. Um, yeah, wow. But it's you know it, to me, I think that's that's kind of the formulaic part that I was looking for. That um, there's just there's certain principles that govern growth, and you know that the the most important principle is that growth without value is unsustainable because growth without value is growth without retention. Value drives retention. And if you can't retain users, you can't grow users because you, all you can do is replace users. And so that, that was what I really looked for in businesses was making sure that the handful of people who had started on a product actually considered the product something that was indispensable. And I, I came up with a survey question that gave me the ability to quickly uncover if that situation existed or not. And that survey question was just to ask existing users on the product, how would they feel if they couldn't use the product anymore? And I was looking for people who said that they would be very disappointed. And if I found enough people saying they would be very disappointed without the product, then I knew it was a must-have for at least some people. And if it's a must-have for at least some people, then, then there's a pretty good chance it's going to be a must-have for a lot of people. So the one other thing that I did was I tried to make sure that each of these companies had at least one VC who had put you know, north of a million dollars already into the company. So I couldn't really validate market size, but if, if a VC is going to put that kind of money into the company, they're doing the research into what they think the market size opportunity was. So I, I kind of, I took the macro view in the in the decision to invest, where or invest my time and my reputation, and they were kind of taking that uh, that macro view. Gotcha. So you always use this small framework, not not a, not a large framework, before you started at any one of these companies. Yeah, I mean, the only thing like I wanted to feel like I had at least a, two tricks up my sleeve for growing the business. Not even tricks, but just two two channels that I thought would be had some potential for growing the business. If I, if I went in with like zero inspiration before I started, then uh, who knows if I'll have inspiration at all. But if I have two, one of them's probably not going to work. And maybe even both of them won't work. But at least, at least I have the start of kind of like, I, I think this is a couple of different ways I would grow this business. It seems like users are valuing this business. And between those things, I felt like the raw ingredients were there. And then you know, for me, the the last piece was you know most important. I wanted to make sure that there were founder CEOs who I who I had really good chemistry with because if I if I didn't trust them or they didn't trust me, it just wasn't it wasn't going to work. You know, if they if I didn't trust them, then we could be hugely successful, and then they would just say like, oh, we're successful despite that crappy job you did or, you know, and the, and the more likely case for most startups is that you're going to struggle. And it's very easy to point the finger at the marketing guy is the reason you're struggling. So I wanted to, to have something where we're both sides were committed to figuring it out through, through those struggles. And we weren't going to quickly get into the finger pointing game. So after Eventbrite, Dropbox, you started Qualaroo? Uh, yeah, so Eventbrite, Dropbox, then I did look out in a couple more companies and then, yeah, and then I, then I started this business that, uh, through twists and turns. So Qualaroo, as I, as I mentioned, was a, was something that we sold, but it was an asset sale. So we basically, we, we started growth hackers as kind of a side business to Qualaroo as almost a tactic for growing Qualaroo and, uh, pretty quickly realized that, um, we thought growth hackers had a more interesting upside to it than than Qualaroo did long term. Got you. So you sold you sold Qualaroo and now you're all in on growthhackers.com? Yeah, now we're all in on growth hackers and you know the the cash was helpful from selling Qualaroo, but for us the most important part was getting that undivided focus that 
you mentioned is really important for your head of growth, but it's even more important for your CEO founder. And so, and, you know, and, and core team. So that was, that was what we decided was, uh, you know, let's, let's be hyper-focused on, on the growthhackers.com opportunity. Yeah. Gotcha. Because, um, yeah, big fan of, of growthhackers.com. There's always great, great content. Um, really, really great case studies. You guys know what's up. Um, now you have uh, some sort of SaaS product. Is that is that correct? Now I, I haven't looked at it, but a friend told me about it, and it, it's really around developing a growth framework of of yeah. So can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting? We launched this product last June, and it grew pretty quickly. But um, part of any business is deciding when is the when is the product ready to scale long-term growth? And we, so we, you haven't tried it. And a lot of people haven't heard about it because we, we haven't really poured the, the gas on trying to grow it yet. Like we had ultimately what we need to do is be able to retain people on there pretty well and, and drive engagement. But generally what it is, as you, as you hit on early on in our conversation, that growth works most effectively when marketing and product come together to manage growth. So it's cross-functional. It's about testing across that full customer journey. And so being able to manage that, that cross-functional just collaboration, it's, it's very helpful to have a system, a, a collaboration system for managing that. And then ultimately for capturing the learning about how to grow your business. So we have basically a backlog of ideas that you build in there. And then as a team, you determine which of those ideas are worth testing in which order managing them against the high leverage objectives in your business. So you can define the objectives inside the product and then ultimately populating a knowledge base of what works and what doesn't work to grow your business so that you get smarter over time about how to grow the business. Gotcha. And from, from my understanding, um, just lightly on this product, uh, you guys, uh, the retention is not strong for this product. Is that what you were saying? It's not sufficient yet. You know, I mean, ultimately, we open the door to it, and we part of our expectation is that we we wanted to see once once you had a handful of people on there that they start to draw in more people from the organization into the growth process, working on the growth process, and we didn't see that happening. And so, it's, it's less about the retention, more about the expansion that we we needed to see good expansion and and but we identified some pretty clear things in the product that were holding back that expansion like our invite acceptance rate was only 30%. So basically one of the team members invites another team member and only 30% of those people were accepting invites. And so mm. that was one of the things that I I said to the to the core team that until we can double that invite acceptance rate, I think we're we're not in a position where we can grow this business. And then another metric was the 30-day active after someone was invited. So are they still active 30 days after they're invited? And that wasn't quite where I wanted to see it either. But uh, they focused on the invite acceptance rate first. And uh, I just got a report yesterday that we're upwards of about 70% uh, yeah, invite wow. acceptance now. So it's it got a lot better. But that's you know, with all of this stuff, it's about really identifying what to focus on at any given point to, to make the business growable. So if, if you remember back with Log Me In, I tried to grow it not growable for four months. I stopped trying to grow the business while we worked on the funnel. And then when I went back and tried to grow it afterwards, what previously I was able to spend $10,000 a month profitably after I made those changes, I could spend a million dollars a month profitably with a three-month payback on investment. So we were cash flow positive on that business all the way through the NASDAQ listing. So growth is something that needs to be both aggressive and patient depending on where you are with things. And so for me, that was the, I'm still working hard to grow this business. I'm just not working hard to grow our SaaS business. So we, we have uh, our community, we have training, we have our conference. Uh, so there's, there's definitely, and we have talent solutions. So there's, there's other ways that we're monetizing. Just our SaaS product is not, is not where it needs to be for us to start to pour a lot of resources into trying to grow it. Gotcha. I see. That makes sense. So just before we've got a couple of questions before we move to your book, one around your marketing stack today's age. Um, Cause I I'm very big. I'm a marketing and product guy too, Sean. So I'm really enjoying this conversation and 
I'm really curious, what's your marketing stack look like? What tools are you using in today's world? What what, what are your must-haves? Yeah, so, I mean, I think to me, to me, testing velocity is a lot of what defines, uh, you know, if, if, when I see a team that's doing a lot of testing, I generally see that team eventually be pretty successful growing the business. So what you need from a testing perspective are basically you need tracking. You can't, if there's no, if there's no tracking, then you're just blindly testing and you're not learning anything. So for, for the tracking, I really like amplitude, especially for early stage startups. They offer like 20 million events per month for free. So they're, they have a super generous freemium plan. And, and I actually think that they have probably the most intuitive interface of any of the analytics companies. And then Optimizely, I, I like just for being able to really, really make the testing easy. I also like uh, Unbounce for, for just the landing pages, being able to, to quickly roll up landing pages. I'm trying to think what else is. Uh, those, are, those would probably be the, the, the main ones. Use Kiss um, Metrics? So Kiss Metrics has a it, some new stuff that they're coming out with that I'm really excited. We, we're on beta. I'm not sure if they're allowing me to talk about that yet, but um, the new stuff that they have coming out, I think is really good. But I, and interestingly, was an advisor to, to Kissmetrics for, for a while. And uh, when I saw what Amplitude was doing, that's, that's really the hard part when you're like, I'm, I've been an investor in a couple of companies that we've, we've had as part of our stack. And then mm. my team explains why something else is better. And you kind of, you, you have that little bit of conflict of interest, but um, uh, yes, I've, I've, I've made shifts sometimes along the way that are not necessarily best for my short term pocket. But, you know, I, I owe it to my own investors to make sure that we're, we're we've got the kind of best of breed in our stack at any given point. But it's always just a snapshot. You know, things are changing pretty quickly. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited about what Kissmetrics has coming out as sort of their next generation product. So we'll see. We'll see how that works. We also use segment to to basically make it much easier to, to swap in and out different solutions. If we've got all of the events captured in segment, that makes it much easier. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Um, so let's talk about hacking growth. Tell us about the book. What, what can people expect? Uh, are you guys just going to talk about, you know, just, just like so many different growth hacks that you guys have used and, <laughs> and, and worked and, and which ones to choose? What, what, tell, tell us, what can we expect? No, it's, it's definitely not just a list of growth hacks. The problem with, with a book of, of growth hacks is that um, by the time you get through the publishing process, which is actually really slow, they're not going to work anymore. So mm. what we do, we have lots of examples in there, but not with the thought of implement this growth hack exactly as is. We have examples where we then talk about the principles behind behind the example of why, why it worked. Um, but you know, on a, on a higher level, it's really like, yeah, so the principles and, and just how growth works is a big part of it. And then how to, how to build a team around managing growth, what, uh, you know, the daily tasks look like. And, and then we go into each of these key levers so that really the playbooks of growth where, you're looking at acquisition, which is where marketers traditionally focus on, but then particularly activation, which is super important for, for growth. How should you go about approaching activation, retention, monetization, all of these areas where you can start running experiments uh, and, and usually see a lot more yield on, on experiments that are kind of deeper in funnel, and then that, that ends up making acquisition work a lot better. So First part is really about the methodology, and then the second part are, are, is drilling into these playbooks. Gotcha. And you actually raised a good point around growth team. If somebody you know has a found, you you know you're a founder listening right now, you've got a founding team. At what point do you need a growth hacker if you if the founder isn't a growth hacker, like a non-marketing person? I think that the one, if you're a CEO, kind of founder of the team or of the company you can't just expect to hire someone else to come in and do it for you that you are you know your failure and success is in your ability to acquire and retain customers like that's you you can't if, if you're serious about your your business you just can't like just trust someone else to do that and it's way more intuitive in how to do it than you might think it is and so what you want to be able to do is bring someone in who can potentially partner with you on that, but not something that you're just abdicating the role and responsibility to. So 
in the early days, it's uh, you you are kind of looking for that unicorn person who is super dynamic, good with the numbers, good with creativity, understands the different platforms that are out there. And those people are pretty hard to hire. But um, I think if you can find one, then then you know grab onto them. And if not, then learn the skills yourself. Because as as a as a founder, no matter what your skill set is, you can probably you can probably learn those skill sets. So that's the that's the starting point. And then as it scales, um, it becomes less and less important to have one person who can do everything. You know, then it's more about coordinating a team of people who can do each of the things that matter. And uh, but you know, most most people most people never get to the point where they start to really scale a team if they don't nail the first part. So I, I generally uh, focus on trying to get the first part right first. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious when it comes to finding that that all-rounder kind of growth person, do they have to have a background, done a bit of CRO, built funnels, you know, really analytical, um, you know, understanding, like have the creativity around products. Um, I'm curious, what, what exactly are you looking for? Because it's, because to do what you've done across all of these companies, you must be able to find great talent as well to be able to help you. It's like you said, you know, you were able to split your time because a lot of it was waiting. You came up with the strategy, but there's a lot of execution uh, in the background while you're waiting, right? Yeah. So I, I think the biggest thing that you need in, in the person that you would hire is is an entrepreneurial drive. So the ideal person is somebody who actually aspires to be a founder themselves at some point. Because you know, a lot of it is it's it's not just a matter of just do do do. Just as I've as I've talked about, it's a matter of saying like we're just going to completely waste our efforts if we if we send another ten thousand people into the website with how flawed our you know first user experience is. So it's it's somebody who can at least shine a light on the stuff that needs to be done. And then one of the advantages in an early stage company is that you don't have you don't have quite the uh, the silos that bigger companies have. So you you have this malleable culture where ideally what you want to do is make everyone understand the importance of growth and the role that they can play there. And so that's why I'm saying that sometimes a CEO is going to be, or or somebody on the founding team is going to be the person with the entrepreneurial drive who's going to be best suited for it because they they became a founder because they have an entrepreneurial drive. So but ultimately, you know, like what I did at Dropbox, I didn't build the funnels. I did the research to make some suggestions on the test to be run, but I didn't, I didn't need to code it. Like, I, I mean, once I, I need to make a case that it should be coded, mm. it's a little bit different. Yeah. Gotcha. I see. And you shouldn't be looking for contractors or agencies, right? You were looking for founding team members. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 there are agencies out there that uh, can can help with this, but um, I, I just, I mean, you you do need to get so deep into it that I'm just not sure. I mean, just as you had doubts that I could, as part time, be able to do this with businesses, I think, you know, I mean, I was still fifty percent of every day, and and my days were a lot longer than most people's were, <laughs> um, going going into these businesses. So I I think. Um, it's it's just you know if you're not pretty immersed in it it's 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 tough. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, awesome. All right, two last questions, and we have to wrap, Sean, because I'm mindful of your time. Uh, I could talk all day, man, because I'm a marketer too. I'm pretty big on this stuff. Um, <laughs> we'll just turn off the recording and just keep geeking out about this stuff. <laughs> awesome. So, two two last questions. If you could give a because because part of being a growth hack I've read as well is is as a mindset more than ever. If you could give like a very, very simple framework that for people that are listening to approach growth um, and, and how you do and, and the mindset for you approaching growth, because I think that's really, really key because part of it is just being prepared to do a lot of failed experiments and have a mm -hmm. relentless focus on where you're at across that user experience, whether it is you know, customer acquisition and the pro you got the product right, whether it is retention, like wh whether it is onboarding, uh, where, where is that drop off? Um, and then, you know, you have to come with a creative strategy like you have, whether it's pricing models, whether it's 
you know, freemium, what, what, whatever it is. So if you could one, give a, just a really strong framework that you use when you approach, just start like, you know, when you approach a new company, how can you scale that company? And then uh, best place people can find out more about uh, you and Morgan's book, Hacking Growth. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think from the mindset perspective, it's really having that recognition that everything that you're doing can be improved, that, that just knowing that every, every point in your user onboarding, there's a better way to do it. And the only way to find out the better way is, is to try a bunch of stuff. And so it's really, so then, then if it's, if it's testing that ultimately yields the best results, then you also, though, do want to focus that testing where it matters the most. And that's, that's kind of the hard part. But just for example, if you knew that one point in your funnel, there was 100% conversion rate, you know not to focus at that one point because you can't get it to 101% conversion rate. So mm. it's ne- never quite to that extreme. But if something's at like 96% and then another part, you're losing 80% of your users in another section, probably want to focus on the other 80% and that you know, the more that you can really understand the situation. So you're not just randomly testing in those areas, but you're, you're trying to find out if people are abandoning your funnel, why are they abandoning it? And, and sometimes it's as simple as just asking them. And the, the insights that they can give you are going to lead to smarter tests that are, that are going to solve that problem. But it's really, really a lot of this is not creativity in the, the kind of uh, Don Draper creativity sort of way. It's it's just creative problem solving. It's it's like being frustrated by what is holding back our growth and just finding finding what's holding back growth and experimenting until you fix that thing and then moving on to the next thing. And ultimately, when you when you get the first user experience right, then then being able to focus on channels and building channels, they're going to just work a lot better. And so too much early focus on channels is going to be frustrating, but you need to you need to find the right balance because if no new people are coming in, then you have no signal on where where you've got uh, blockages happening. But it's it's pretty, I think, logical and straightforward. It's just um, it's it's hard work, and it's something that uh, that at the very heart of it, the only reason it makes sense to do it is if you validated that somebody loves your product or that hopefully a group of people love your product and and what you're trying to do is replicate that experience. So process real fast as you kind of asked about process. It's really about running that analysis to find the opportunities. And then when you find an opportunity, set an objective around that, trying to, I want to move it from this to this, give yourself a time frame for doing it, and then start just generating ideas for fixing whatever is not very optimal. And prioritize those ideas and then run the tests and every test that you run you learn something more about that situation and it just keep keep repeating that cycle until you until you uh start to start to grow <laughs> so yeah any uh anything that requires clarification there or does that sound I mean, for you it might sound <laughs> pretty straightforward but hopefully for the listeners it'll be uh straightforward as well yeah yeah look i think that makes sense one thing that i'm wondering though it struck out to me is we're we're currently hiring for a for a CRO kind of CRO person slash kind of someone that just builds funnels. That's all they do, just build funnels and, and optimize them extremely analytical. But from speaking to you, you could you could get that from a growth hacker, right? Because usually I, I'm the growth hacker in, in in the company. But what what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think that that conversion rate optimization and growth hacking are really kind of the same thing um but that uh growth hackers that that, uh, there's this concept that we talk about in the book we're running out of time but uh the north star metric i mean you can find other stuff about it online as well the north star metric is really what drives a growth hacker where the north star metric is a is a measurement of the value that's being delivered in aggregate to your customers and Ultimately, every optimization you make should be improving that North Star metric and or improving that value defined by the North Star metric. So most conversion rate optimizers are, are a lot more local in their focus. They're just trying to get more people from this step to that step. But I think in the long run that, that they're going to merge kind of into the same thing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the process that the conversion rate optimizer uses is the same process that a, that a growth hacker uses. Mm, yeah, that's right. So 
that brings me to my next question. Just like yourself, we have many different products across the magazine to educational courses and then content. And then eventually we want to build a SaaS tool as well. I'm really, really curious, just like you guys at Growth Hackers, you have many different products. How do you know what that North Star metric is across your product suite? That's a really good question, and that's something that we're we're kind of struggling with right now. Um, I think once the once our SaaS product comes out, then it will be measured. I mean, when it once we're really focused on our SaaS product, it will be measured in uh, probably everything is sort of higher up in the funnel from from the SaaS product. But right now, right now the solutions are kind of uh, kind of endpoints and. Um, it, it is each solution would really have more of its 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 own north star metric right now yeah gotcha because you're you you guys in in many ways or aspects are a media company with growth hackers because you produce great content yeah so it's I, I really think of it as a platform with different yeah different monetization pieces plugged into that platform but once our SaaS product is uh closer to what our long-term vision is for it everything's going to be folded around the SaaS product. So where even, even today when you're on Growth Hackers, if you see an idea you like in an article, you can click and save it and it sends it right into, into your backlog in Growth Hackers. And so there's, there's a level of integration mm. and even talent will fit into the, into the platform where if you're falling behind on your analysis, you can find uh, analysts to complement your team, whether temporary or full-time. So you can start to see that everything eventually leads into the platform. So we're, we're still in kind of a transitionary state right now. Yeah, gotcha. That's really interesting. So how did you find, how did you find out about this was the product that was going to intertwine between your others to eventually, yeah, I can see the roadmap now, but how did you work that out? <laughs> well, so... One, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how well it's going to work. You know, <laughs> ultimately, if it'll play out the way I the way I envision it, but it's, uh, yeah, I I think it's it's just something that you know the more we execute the business, the more that you start to see what are, what are the opportunities, where could this lead, and it's something that we got really excited about as a as something that we we ultimately want to be that place where where growth teams are spending their entire day, where all, all of the engagement and interaction, and we can even start to feed in content from our community into the, into the product itself. So if you're running a bunch of Facebook experiments, we've got a bunch of fresh content about Facebook and how the platform's changing. So you, you can just see that it all integrates together, but it's, there's, there's so many steps to getting to that point and probably at least half of our assumptions on how it's going to work are flawed. We just, <laughs> we don't know which which ones are flawed. So we have to kind of keep working our way through all of them and, and figure out the ones that are, um, are on point are going to work the way we expect and refine our assumptions around the ones that didn't, that didn't work. And, uh, but I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think the, the challenge that every business has is, are, are you going to be able to figure it out before the team gives up and before you run out of money and, you know, we've we've had lots of good wins along the way that I think keeps everybody engaged and including investors. So that's the uh, but that's that's the big balancing act because it's you know in hindsight it all looks easy, but when you're when you're in the middle of it, it's 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 a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, love it, man. Awesome, dude. Well, look, um, where's the best place people can find out more about your new book and and uh, kind of extend on from this conversation that we've had around everything growth frameworks, like you said, the North star, just, just, just everything growth, hacking, marketing, growing your company essentially. Yeah. So the book, the best places um, we, we set up a site for the book at growthhacker.com. So not, not our regular domain. So remove the S instead of growthhackers.com. Uh, that's where we're hosting information about the book with links where you can order it. And then uh, we, have, we have training and there's a, we're running a deal for uh, podcast listeners today that uh, we'll be running it for a while where it's uh, growthhackers.com slash training. And that's really, you're not something that for, for your listeners that are in the early, early days, it's probably not going to be very useful. But if you're starting to try to build a team that, that bridges the product and marketing, uh, that course will be really useful for people. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, look, Sean, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to grabbing a copy of the book and uh, learning more. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan. And I'll see you next time I'm down under. Yeah, for sure. All right. Ciao.
Bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.